Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's Word that's the focus of our attention this morning is our Old Testament reading for today from Isaiah 35. Please rise as we hear the first two verses of that text. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. The wasteland of the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It will bloom lavishly, and there will be great joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. It will be excellent, like Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Thus far the text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. In order to be a witness for something, what do you have to do? Well, you need to experience evidence of something that has taken place. You might see something that actually helps solve a crime or give witness to a traffic accident. Maybe you, you hear something that, that tells you for sure that that band you're listening to is not all that good. Or maybe you taste Something that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that your mom or your wife is the best cook in the universe. So what do we do with this passage from Isaiah? If you looked at the theme of this sermon, it says, Witness the coming of the Christ. And yet when we look at this passage, this chapter of Isaiah, what portion of it do you see where it mentions Jesus, the Messiah, directly? Was Jesus mentioned in any of these verses? Well, no, not really, not specifically. But look at the evidence presented. What else could bring about such a radical change that Isaiah describes? Especially after his previous chapter, when he's talking about the terrible judgment of the Lord on his people. Well, now we've got all kinds of good news. And what else could bring that about except for the coming of the Messiah, the coming of our Savior? So let's take a look at this this chapter of Isaiah and see the evidence where we can indeed witness the coming of our Savior, of our Christ. The coming Christ, first of all, brings judgment. Now that might sound ominous, in the context of this chapter, especially because there's so much good that that Isaiah is talking about. But he says, look, your God will come with vengeance, with God's own retribution. Now, this is somewhat of a typical Advent theme that, that Jesus is coming. And we know when he comes again, his second coming, he is going to come in judgment. He is going to bring punishment for sins. But that's for all of those other people, right? Not, not us. Well, that's true to an extent. All people who are not followers of Jesus, who are not Christians, they will be held accountable for, our, for their sins. But for us, for us Christians, our sins have already been taken care of. Our sins have already been removed from us by the work of Jesus, by His life and death and resurrection. But this verse does remind us to take sin seriously. 
Because God takes sin seriously. We don't want to become complacent and lazy figuring that, well, we were baptized when we were a baby. We've been going to church our whole life. We're good. The question for us as we witness Christ's judgment is this. Are we prepared for His coming? In other words, are we repentant of our many sins? Repentance is not just a once a week thing, once once every time we come to church. It's not even something that we think about, well, as long as I repent once a day, I'm good. Repentance really is a way of life. We live in repentance. We have to. We can't figure that as long as we repent every once in a while that, that we'll be okay. That can lead us to be a little bit complacent in our attitude about our sin. Maybe you have a particular sin that you commit time and time and time again. You repent of that sin. You know you're forgiven of that sin. And yet at the same time, you figure, well, as long as I repent of that sin, then I'm okay. And, and actually what you're doing in your mind, at least in the back of your mind, is that you're kind of looking forward to committing that sin again because you know that you can go to God and repent of that sin and He'll forgive it. That's a dangerous way of living. We need to live a life of constant repentance so that our hearts don't become hardened. We don't want to be in fear of Christ's judgment when He comes again. So it's very clear that the coming Christ brings judgment. And from the evidence that that Isaiah presents here, it's clear that he also brings healing. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unplugged, the crippled will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Now we're very familiar with all of the miracles, all of the healings that Jesus performed when he was carrying out his earthly ministry. Just think of how many people, how many blind people he gave their sight, how many lame people he allowed to walk, how many deaf people he restored their hearing to. We know that Jesus performed all kinds of these physical healings. He is indeed the compassionate Messiah. But what about now? Well, we know that Jesus isn't performing those types of miracles now in the sense that he is not carrying out his earthly ministry and and doing all of those miracles. But are there healings, miraculous healings, that, that take place that Jesus is performing in different ways? Maybe you think about people, faith healers, who say that they are healing someone in the name of Jesus. I can't say whether that's true or not. But when you think about some people who have gone through amazing recoveries from an illness that the doctors said was was terminal and they couldn't do anything about it and yet they make a recovery and they can't explain it maybe that is indeed jesus working that miracle and of course we know that jesus does use regular everyday medicine and and medical technology to heal people even so apart from all of those physical healings as wonderful as they are even in jesus time the best healings that jesus brings about are the spiritual healings that he does. 
these spiritual healings take place through the power of His Word. And that healing has taken place in each one of us. In each one of us as Christians, we have been healed. Our eyes, our spiritual eyes, have been able to see. We can now see the way to heaven that it is indeed through Jesus. Our ears have been unstopped because now we're able to listen to God's Word. Before He worked faith in us, before the Holy Spirit worked faith in us, God's Word is complete foolishness to us. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But now, because of that faith worked in us, our ears are unstopped. And we can hear God speaking to us in His Word. He tells us that our sins are removed because of what Jesus has done for us. Our lameness has been taken away because the Holy Spirit now allows us to walk the path to God. Before that, we were on a path that that was headed straight for hell. But through His Word, the, the Holy Spirit guides and directs us. His Word is indeed, as the psalmist says, a light to my feet and a lamp for my path. Our tongues have been loosed because we are able to sing the praises of our God. We can't help but speak about the one who has indeed healed us. We are healed. And in the midst of all of the strife and the trouble of this world, there is also strong evidence that Jesus brings rescue. I mentioned earlier how Jesus is coming to judge. Isaiah said, look, your God will come with vengeance, with God's own retribution. And at the end of that verse, Isaiah says, he will come and save you. We who are his people have been rescued. That's how we became his people. We have been rescued from his judgment. And how? Via the holy way. Isaiah said a highway will be there, a road that will be called the holy way, the highway of holiness, in other words. And on that holy way, we are protected from all sorts of problems. He says wicked fools will not wander onto it. We know that in this world we have to be concerned all the time about wicked people, foolish people who are constantly trying to do us harm. But we know that they can't do us true harm in the sense of taking away what God has put into our hearts. They can't do anything to take away our faith. And of course, you're familiar with that saying, it's a jungle out there. Now, that's not necessarily talking about animals, but hear what Isaiah says about the, the uh, animals and the danger they pose. He says, no lion will be there, nor will any ferocious animal go up on it. Those things won't exist on this highway of holiness. Now in Isaiah's day that was a problem. I mean when you think about traveling around, they did have to be concerned about ferocious beasts coming upon unsuspecting travelers. We don't really have to be concerned with that as we're traveling around central Iowa to be attacked by ferocious beasts, but we are susceptible to attacks by the devil, that roaring lion who is seeking someone to devour. And we rejoice then that we are protected from such harm because Jesus has defeated the devil through his death and through his resurrection from the dead. And so as we 
travel on that holy way were brought back to Eden, to the garden. In the text, Isaiah said that the people of Israel would eventually return from exile. He said, then those ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with a joyful shout. An everlasting joy will crown their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. God's Old Testament people twice were carried off into exile and they needed the assurance that that was not going to be the end of them. And even though some of them would not return, some of them would be able to return from exile. But the ultimate exile from which they would return would be to be able to go to heaven. And that's where Eden comes in. Do you remember what happened after Adam and Eve sinned? God banished them from the garden, the most perfect place ever. And that banishment signified that that man and God were separated, that man could not be in the presence of God any longer. And when we get to heaven on the holy way, on the holy highway, when we have been rescued from our exile, we will be back in paradise. Now, we don't know exactly what heaven is going to be like in all details, but we know that we'll be totally safe. We'll be totally protected from all harm and danger. We will be perfect. We will be perfect people in a perfect place. We will be in a relationship with God again that allows us to see Him face to face. So we witness the coming of the Christ. We see all of the evidence that's there for us. He does come in judgment. He comes with healing. He comes to rescue. He also comes to bring life. That's very evident from the description that Isaiah provides about what happens in the desert when Christ comes. He says, The wasteland of the Arabah, the wilderness, will rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It will bloom lavishly. We can almost picture the desert bursting forth in radiant color, becoming a a lush and green place, just like a, a lush and green garden. Now, obviously, we don't live in a desert, but let's think about those those descriptions in spiritual terms. Our souls are parched spiritually because we need sustenance. We need especially water. And Jesus is the one who gives that water to us. He says in John 4, Whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he gives us this life, this water, through his word, through his sacraments. Think about what happens in baptisms. Our souls are made alive again because they are washed by the blood of Christ. They are regenerated. In His Word, our souls are refreshed as we receive the forgiveness of our sins. In the Lord's Supper, our souls are strengthened as He comes to us personally and gives us forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. And so we have eternal life now. And we will see God later. Isaiah says, they will see the glory of the Lord. And this brings us really full circle. We, we had been in the wilderness, in the, in the desert, wandering around, 
that's this world, but eventually we get to go to heaven. The paradise that we get to go to. The paradise restored. We will see God face to face. That means we are in a restored relationship with God because otherwise we wouldn't be able to be in His presence. But we will get to be with Him again. So, thinking of all of that evidence, is that enough evidence for you to be a witness? Does what Isaiah says fit with what Jesus Christ came to do that he is still doing and that he is yet to do? During this season of Advent, we need to continue to witness his coming. He's coming with judgment, which, which sounds really ominous, but he is also coming with healing. He's coming to rescue. He's coming with life. As we witness his coming, we also bear witness to his coming as we tell others about his coming so that they too can enjoy the life that we have been given. Amen.